Well, welcome to Out of Your League. Um, we're joined uh, today by Leeds Rhinos player Brad Dwyer. Brad, how's it going, mate? You good? Yeah, all good, mate. Uh, currently in isolation after a trip back from Catalan. So, um, good to keep my mind busy and get up to something even though I'm stuck in the ice. So, yeah, I, you know, you're isolating it in Wigan because you're from Wigan or are you... Is that where you're based now or not? No, no, I'm based in Leeds, moved over, uh, got out the little bubble of Wigan and um, growing up a bit and experienced a bit of different culture away from Wigan. So, yeah. D- different culture? Yeah, mate. Wigan's a different breed, mate. So Talk us through the different culture. Talk us through the different <laughs> culture between Leeds and Wigan. Oh, mate, well, literally, when you're in Wigan, mate, it's beans on toast or chippy tea and a Friday night as you grow up and you're brought up on Wigan Pier and Rosebridge, mate. So, uh, Wigan and Rosebridge, so that's always on you. Uh, and then moving over to Leeds was probably the best thing that I did, mate. Uh, opened my eyes a bit. <laughs> it opened your eyes. I love it. I love it. You moved, you moved 45, maybe 50 miles and it's, it's been a life-changing experience for you. You know, um, so what? talk us through your childhood, Brad, Like because I, I know about your professional you know, career, but not know very little about your journey to becoming a rugby league professional. What was that? What was your childhood like? Uh, yeah, mate, well, that's probably got a lot in why I say. Obviously, it is only 40-odd miles down the road, um, but moving away from Wigan was a, was a massive part of my life um, because I, I explain it by saying I had a sheltered lifehood, uh, yeah. a childhood, sorry. I, I didn't really know anything other than what I've been brought up on. I stayed in my little comfort zone in Wigan and that was rugby um, and just at home comfort. So I went to Tenerife for Spain for my holiday and that was it. Um, so it was just good to move away from different people and uh, you guys will probably know us Wiganers are all very similar. Uh, when you've been around that many in Super League, we're all pretty similar people. Um, so what, to get away from Wiganers really and, and see the likes of Ryan Hall, Stevie Ward, who were really out there, different people, to be around people like that was was really good for me. Uh, but your question on my childhood, mate, was basically I brought up around rugby league, like most Wigan lads are. Um, Rosebridge was my club. Um, I went to training Tuesday and Thursday with my dad. He was coach at first, uh, the open age at Rosebridge. I trained with my team at whatever age I was. And this, I'm talking from like five or six year old. I was every night of the week, I was at Rosebridge training with some sort of team. It was crazy, really. So you were like completely immersed in rugby league since a young age, and was it always the dream and the plan to, to make a, a career out of it? Oh yeah, mate. Uh, it, um, I used to go and sit in South Stand at Wigan uh, with my dad and his mates and my uncle and their kids. Uh, and it, I, the only memory I have, and people say, "What was your inspiration?" Was I forget? I think it was like the Gladiator theme tune that Wigan used to walk out to us when I was a bit yeah. younger. And I stood with my steak pie in my hand. This is no word of a lie. It sounds very stereotypical, but I was sat with my steak pie. We'd just got up into our seats and that come on and get your goosebumps. And that was my dream. That, that, that was some of the motivation. Obviously, I, I thought it was. But then when I look back and you get a bit older and a bit more mature and you start looking to what makes you as a person, I started realising there was other motivations that probably got me to my professional uh, career that I've ended up with. So you were young, you know, as most lads in Wigan are ob- obsessed with with Wigan Warriors or obsessed with rugby league, and and that's part of your journey. What what was what was like school like for you? You know, were you, were you good at school? Were you academic, or or were you just rugby league all the way? Uh, yeah, I was a bit of a class clown. I said that now. I, I regret uh, really how I was, but um, I think 
speaking about me, and you probably have heard the stories, I think it's to get it out there, is to speak about my birthmark as, as a child. Because um, the way I was as a child was very much determined through, through my birthmark um, and what I had, the personality traits that I have. Obviously, we have DNA that's you are who you are through your parents and stuff like that, but you're also created by your environment and your experiences. Um, and mine was very much a, a childhood of being embarrassed. When I look back now, I didn't really know it. I didn't really think I had an issue with my birthmark, but um, it wasn't embarrassed because I sit back and I think, why am I the type of person? Or why was I that class clown as a kid? Or why was I so emerged in rugby? Um, and then were just disguises. When I look back now, it was disguised. Everyone was laughing at me because I was the joker or everyone was saying, oh, well played today or saying that Brad Dwyer is a good player. Whereas it wasn't Brad Dwyer with a birthmark, if you get what I'm saying. Um, so that had a massive yeah. determinant on who I am as a person now and who I was as a kid was just this embarrassment of my birthmark. And it is pretty linked to my personality away from rugby, but also I, I 100% don't believe if I wasn't like that as a kid uh, and craved that well done, you played well today or that laugh, I don't think I'd have been a, a rugby league player because I'm not the biggest, not the fastest. Um, I just always wanted to impress and win. And I'm pretty similar to that in me. Uh, professional career now I've got there um, probably try two words some, I, I would imagine people have uh, described me as an headless chicken sometimes when I'm playing because I'm running around like an idiot um, but I do have a will to will which uh, a will to win which I know many of my coaches have do like and the inside pressure and you guys will know the, the hard things of the game the unseen efforts yeah. I really base my game on them and that's just because I want to impress really and I, th- I believe that's down to my because so, so Brad, when when you go back to your childhood, right? What what did you know? Did you ever get um, you know? Because your birthmarks, what it's on on uh, your neck, and yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, towards my chest, yeah, yeah. And so being at school, school's like a cruel place, isn't it? Did 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 you did you get did you get bullied? Did you get any sort of criticism? Were you, were you what? When did you become really aware of it? Do you yeah. know? Yeah, so there's, there's like it's really strange. So I went through a bit of counselling, but it wasn't it was play welfare guy. Uh, fats at Leeds Rhinos. Nigel Johnson. Yeah, Nigel Johnson, yeah, mate. He's been great. Uh, biggest influence on my career, and down. Um, so I went through a breakup, really upset, uh, really down, depression, um, suicidal thoughts at points. That's why I reached out to Fats. Uh, it wasn't typical or oh, was suicidal. It was on back of a big drink, uh, woke up, boozy blues, anxiety, um, and I kept getting these suicidal thoughts. Not a chance was I going to do it. It was just strange. It kept popping into my head. So I rung fats and that created this journey that I went on up to 25. Didn't think I had an issue with my birthmark. Knew I didn't like it. Um, but that started this uh, bit of therapy, really, counselling with him. But it was my mate from work. So it was pretty. I was pretty fortunate, really. And the um, we went through all this. We said, oh, there's loads of things that had come up to this point. I've been away, I've been to Bali, found myself, as you get, as you, people say, uh, <laughs> on, on the Bali swing. I, swear to God, I had this epiphany that I was going to come out and speak about the birthmark because it, it limited me so much. Like, I speak about not getting out of comfort zones. Um, I just wouldn't put myself out there. I wouldn't meet new people. wouldn't be in uh, environments that I was uncomfortable. Um, so I just wasn't happy with who I was as a person. So I said, right, I'm going to hit it head on. I'm going to speak about it publicly. I'd just say, or put an Instagram post on and, and speak about it. So then if I ever wanted to go and meet new people or in a com- an environment where I weren't comfortable, 
I knew I didn't have to worry what people were thinking because I've come out and I spoke about it. Whereas before, I'd never do it. And for the 20% of people who might judge me on my birthmark, I was never doing 100% of the experiences because I've never put myself out there. So I just went, right, I'm going to do it. And Nigel had the great idea is we'll get you in touch with a birthmark support group and we'll do it publicly, try and help someone. And I was like, listen, this is a selfish reason. I don't see, as a kid, if someone said their story similar to mine, I wouldn't have bothered. I wouldn't, wouldn't have um, hit home with me. So I said, I'll do it. Uh, if it helps someone, it does. But for me, it was just that selfish reason of getting it out there so I could move on with my life. Um, and the reason I'm telling this story is because I went through and I sat down with him for hours on this, I think it was like a Wednesday afternoon, and we wrote down in bullet points everything that had happened in my life due to a birthmark so I could tell the story because I wanted it to go out to a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, 15-year-old, a 19-year-old lad who's going out for a drink and feels uncomfortable in a nightclub. I wanted it for everyone, really. Uh, so I told all these experiences and they was all like, oh, playing on TV, um, in changing rooms, in a in a in top shop or something where you look at mirror and there's a mirror behind you and, and I see it from where I wouldn't normally see it. And the one thing that I left out is I got bullied. I moved school as a kid. When I was um year five, I left my primary school that all my family had gone to. Um uh, nan had sent every single grandkid kid to this same school, but I left it in year five because I got bullied. Um but I'd forgot all about it. So that just proves the fact that I'd got to 25 year old and really just blanked out and subconsciously had all these traits because I'm a birthmark. Uh, but to your answer, yeah, I did did get bullied and I moved schools to a to a different one. And did you did you speak about it from a young age, or was it always like ignored or bottled up? Was or was it or were you, were you kind of comfortable with it, like talking about it to, to friends and family? I always dealt with it with humour, really, if anything. But yeah. um, my friends and family it was like, oh, but it's you. We love you for who you are, which you can't change, like. People ask me when I go to this birthmark support group, I've been asked, oh, what advice would you have? Uh, would Because you can get rid of it now. You can get laser uh, birthmark removal. Um, I could, I've been and had the testers twice uh, at different points in my life, but I can't really do it with my job. It, it, you can't have impact for two weeks after it really bruises and stuff. So it's just something that was part of the journey that I had to come and deal with it. Um, but I'd never, as a kid, I'd never really spoke about it because it was never an issue in my family home. They loved me through who I was. But, and I look back now and I think, well, if it was an issue, did I got rid of it? And I wouldn't have had to deal with the stuff that I've had to deal with. So really at first it was like, I wish I'd have got rid of it as a kid and never had to deal with it. But part of the process, uh, I don't know if you remember the video I did, the tackle the tough stuff when it was coming out super blue, we're doing the videos. Yeah. I did Watch that it. and we did a, yeah, and we did a launch and, I, get, I think I got interviewed like 15 times on the back of this launch the same day. And you'll know when you go to grand finals and stuff and you do them it, it, days where it's back to back to back to back interviews. And it was mad really because it was like therapy for me, telling my story um, every time. And then every time I said it, the story got better and better and better. And by the end of that day, I'd figured out the fact that, yeah, I probably, if you'd have asked me before that, I wanted to get rid of it. I wish I didn't have it. But I don't, previously I'd figured out that I wouldn't be a rubber player if it wasn't. I wouldn't have that determination, that motivation um, to get to where I am. Plus, I will, I'm in a really privileged position. For one, I'm a Super League player, um, which said there's 500 Super League players or whatever there is, but there's only one real with a birthmark who can stand up there and speak about how he feels and the things that he's been through. So I'm individual and got a real good opportunity through that. But there's a lot of people with birthmarks living everyday normal lives that don't get 
to speak about it and get the positive feedback that I've had from it, which makes me feel better about my birthmark if you understand that I'm doing some good, whereas some people are just living day-to-day life in an office and don't get that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you aware of it, Brad? Do you know what I mean? Are you aware of how people deal deal with you, you know, and look at you? Is, is there any of that going on or, or not? Um, I just, I used to avoid it. I am, I, I'm... I say 25 year old that, but now I'm very comfortable. Really still yeah, dislike yeah. it. I look at myself. Everyone's insecure. They, they've got things about themselves that they don't like. Um, mine's my birthmark. I've always seen it that way. Um, but you speak about school and school can be cruel. I don't think there's any crueler place than a Super League club, a rugby league club. That does not. Uh, no. And I was, it created yeah. a beast in me. I was ruthless. Uh, at my time at Warrington, I was just as, it was dog eat dog. It was back up against the wall and, Come on, watch your insecurity and watch mine, and let's have it out to the first guy that crumbles and gets the best laughs. Would would you would you sometimes start it just to kind of get your retaliation in first? Oh, I'd I'd, I'd be on the front foot straight away. It's like I'll I'll make you laugh at me, or I'll make them laugh at you before someone else gets that in. Um, there was a time I signed for Leeds with Brian Mack, and he had this thing where we had the meetings. Uh, so we're a couple of months into preseason, you only do your camp preseason camp. So I've been in a while, the boys knew me. Um, and my speech, I had to speak about myself and I went to Mike, what, what do you want me to speak about, Mike? He went, well, do you want me to do speech for you? And I was like, well, okay, no worries. Uh, and a few boys said, just speak about your life and who you are and what you want to achieve. So my first words were, oh, you're all a bunch of fat pussies. That's what I said to him. You're all a bunch of pussies. I've been here two months and not one of you has mentioned my birthmark. That then were my words to him, and it was just the old burst out laughing. And I just thought, well, my mindset's wrong, not yours. Like, I'm saying, oh, you should be laughing at me. Well, that's not normal, they're just nice people. They've not been in these environments, have been past, and it's ruthless as out. Yeah, so was, was that like a mindset where you thought more of it than they did? Yeah, 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 100%. That's what I said. That's that's why coming out was, was so good for me because I limited my life because I thought everyone's going to be thinking this of me when it's only a minute uh, amount of people that would see that and be bothered by it. But I was I was thinking everyone, because I didn't like it, I was thinking everyone was feeling the same way. Yeah, because what, what, it's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done, but I always find that if your own insecurities, people don't care as much as you do. You, you have it in your mind that... Everyone, everyone cares, but if there is people that care or they're bothered about it, they don't matter in your life. But the people that do matter, they don't give a shit. And it's it, like I said, easier said than done. But I think we've all got our like insecurities and, and and maybe body issues or whatever. And I think it's probably it takes time and like talking to people, like you said you did with Nigel, that you probably come to terms with it a bit more. No, I think Brad, I think you're quite young to get to where you've got to. You know, in terms of your understanding of yourself, I think you're 25. I, I I think you know that that's that's a young age flash to really start to look at your self awareness like that, don't you 100%. think? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm 33, and I'm you know even like in my mid 20s, there'd be little things that people wouldn't think of looking at you, but you might consider it yourself. And it's probably it's, at 25, I probably didn't have the self awareness that that you've got now, and and I. I I'd off my cap to you for kind of speaking out about it and kind of being so open about it. Yeah, mate, 100%. I had the same conversation with Dom Crosby. Uh, obviously, you'll be aware of the issues that Dom had with his child. And I said, I said, it kills me, Dom, that I've been so down about something like this when you're dealing... It was similar times, 
said, when you move to Leeds and you're dealing with these issues that you've had back home. And he said to me, he said, mate, that everyone out of adversity comes opportunity, famous quote. Um, but I would I have my daughter back? He said, yes, in a heartbeat. Uh, would you not have your birthmark? Yes, in a heartbeat. You wouldn't have it. But that's the cards have been dealt and we're going to do something good through it. And I've been pretty fortunate. Yeah, I've lived a sheltered life for however long, but I believe it's created me this career that I've got and this special, unique situation where I can speak out about something that is pretty different uh, and not many people can do that. Yeah, so Leeds, Leeds sounds like it's been really important, Brad, then, for, for, for you in terms of that, that you know, the self-awareness, personal development and all of that. So how, how has that worked out? 100%, mate. Best, best, move, best move in my life. Oh, everything happens for a reason, I believe. Um, I was at Warrington. I was behind Dad. Well, coming through, I was behind Mickey Monahan and Mickey. I am both aging because I was like rubbing my hands together. I said, it's, mate, it's perfect for me, this. A couple of years behind them, I'll step forward. Warrington being the club that they was, bought big with Daz. It's just the way it was. Um, and I always, it was always, I was an impact because I got potential, but never really pushed on. Um, and I forget the year, it might have been 15 or something. I had a really good start to the year. I was pushing Daz. I was in front of him for a couple of games. Um, and I got offered a really good deal at Warrington, like stupid amounts of money. When I look back now at what I turned down, I'm like, it's a lot of money you've turned down there, Brad. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you said to yourself? Bradley, it was a lot of money you turned down there, Paul. Well, yeah, it, I look back there and it is like financially that would have been the right move to make. Maybe not later down the line because I might have just disappeared off the face of the earth, had two years at that money and never played again. Um, but I turned down a lot of money. The year after was Tony Smith last year, Matt last year. It was in the bottom four. I had a few injuries, weren't really playing well. And there wasn't much out there for me. And I ended up, I had an offer from Warrington and an offer from Leeds. And I'm talking it with borderline half the amount of money that I'd got offered. This, the year before. Um, so financially, you look back, I should have took that deal. But it all happened the year after. I was struggling for somewhere to go. I was coming in behind Matt Purcell at Leeds. Something totally new. Didn't know anyone. Um, I swear to it, it had been the best move I ever did. And now I'm thank lucky stars. I've had loads of game time, really progressed my career, improved my, my money and stuff like that. I'm living a great life. And like you said, not only that, take the rugby out of it, but the awareness that I have in my life and, and myself, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect, still make mistakes and still have my down days like anyone, uh, but I'm just more equipped to, to deal with it. And Leeds was a big part of that and being around certain people. And that's more important, I reckon, than like self-awareness and being comfortable in your own skin. It's far more important than uh, what, it's a sport that we all love, but it's a game at the end of the day. And finances, you're always going to make money but being comfortable in your own skin and having been in a good headspace is far more important than anything like that, I find. Yeah, I try and go back to say, you know, when Brad, you walk into the Warrington dressing room and initially you've got that, right, back against the wall mentality. And, and you spent a few years there just fighting, you know, fighting and scrapping for position. Uh, but I think there's a point in everyone's career where you just get to the right club at the right time and it fits you at that point. And you know it's hard for me to say that because I I didn't I didn't move around an awful lot, but I've seen it with players where they just land at the right spot at the right time, and 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 your confidence, your performances, and obviously your, your personality is all developed whilst being at Leeds, Brad. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Uh, and I do feel like it is. I got asked the other day, do you like Leeds? And I do feel like it's home for me. I'm really happy here. 
And it's like you say, everyone is everyone's club is the best club in it, and and everyone's yeah, half yeah. the best half. And but I'm really happy. I'm re- one thing that came out of all this that I went through was gratitude. Um, at the time, I speak about depression, and one of the breakdowns I had, uh, I think it was 2016 at Warrington. We was league leaders. I'd had a good year performance-wise. I was league leaders. Um, we got Challenge Cup, got beat by Hull in the final at Challenge Cup and we got beat in the final, the grand final. So it was a really good year. Just bought my first house. Everything in my life was going great, but I was horrible, like miserable to be around. And my family picked up on this. People at work didn't because it was straight in and I'm on the front foot hammering people yeah. and, and taking it back. And it wasn't necessarily I was upset with my birthmark or people like, uh, taking a piss out of me from my birthmark. It wasn't that. I was just so unhappy, like seeking instant gratification through gambling or a result. I mean, my week was dedicated, whether we won or lost, but that just shaped my mood for the rest of the week. Uh, and my dad just sat me down and he said, like, what is wrong? I got to a point where I don't know if any of them, but no one could speak to me or ask me how I was feeling because I knew better than them because I'd progressed more than they had ever in a rugby career or whatever. Um, so he just sat me down and he just said, what is wrong with you? Why are you so, like, you're horrible to be around. Like, what, why are you so sad? And I just broke down and crying. And I just said, how can I tell you what is wrong with me if I don't know myself? Uh, and this was two years before I actually had my light bulb moment. And I never thought I was depressed until I went through this light bulb moment and relived that moment. And I just said, that's depression, that. To have everything that you've ever wanted and to not to still not be happy. And that's part of me figuring out that it was my birthmark because I had nothing else to be unhappy about. And that just created the personality that it had to that point um so yeah yeah what what did your bad days look like you know when you when you were suffering brad back then you know you're saying you have down days and good days what 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 is a bad day what do you feel like on that day mate i forget what year it was it might have been 15 or 16 i didn't leave the ice in off season because i wouldn't go on holiday i didn't have a a, a, i would go on holiday normally if if it was provided just a group of lads are going i'm like yeah i'll jump on that jump on that stag do I'll jump on that trip with them boys. But if there was nothing, like, I wouldn't really create anything. Um, and at the time, I had no one to go away with. So pre-season yeah, finished and I spent every day in my house, like literally lying on couch, no motivation to get up and go and do anything. So it's like people think, oh, you've no, you don't have to do anything. You can chill out all day. Perfect. Like, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to relax. But it gets to two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon and the mood would be so low. And I'd be like, but I'd have no motivation to get out and, and create something for myself. Do I go make myself do something? So it, that was literally a month that I was like that. And I look back and it's how sad I was. And it's good for me to do stuff like this because I reflect on it then and remember yeah. how, how bad it was. Because now I probably take for granted what you've said, how comfortable I am in, in my own skin or how good my rugby's going, how good my life is. I take it for granted now. Um but to look back at some of them dark days and how sad it was, but that is what it looked like. And I had a similar time once I went through all my stuff uh, when I was 25. I had a similar time about a year after where I was training. And when we're done at two o'clock most days, at one o'clock, we're done. Yeah. And I was in Leeds at this time. And it was literally, I'd get on coach when I'd finished training. And then you sat on coach then from two o'clock till nine o'clock the next morning. Obviously, you swap from, from coach to bed. Um, yeah. But I'd done that long and it was depressing. But I, So I got into a routine where it was like, I had to go swimming because we can't go and flog ourselves and go to the gym at night because it's all about recovery, in it? So I was like, right, I'll go swimming. hate swimming. 
but I'd go on and do 10 lengths and it'd have me out of house and it'd break that 12-hour period up for me. So I knew no matter whether I liked swimming or it was sorting the rig out, no matter what it was doing, it was good <laughs> for me because it got me out of the house. If you get you always got, you've always got to sort your rig out. That's all. <laughs> well, mate, when you got when you're insecure about your buff, mate, the one thing I've got is a buff, um, a great rig. That's probably what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> you're compensating. Yeah, they call me a prawn, I think. Great body, no head. <laughs> so you need to keep yourself busy and, and give yourself a purpose to kind of stave off that that depression or those those low low moments. Yeah. So even though I know about how I feel about the buff mark, I'm comfortable in that. I'm still. So I lived 25 years like that. So. I've got 25 years of experience and memories created who I am. That's, I'm 28 now, so I've been living a different life for three years. Which outweighs the other? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm still that person. I just have to try and be, be, grow as a person kind of thing. And that's where the stuff with fats, the play welfare guy, really helped me. He calls it like a toolbox, just like a plumber goes to work. You know, I need my spanner, I need my screwdriver, I need this. So it's exactly the same with your mental health. You need, and for, for me, gratitude's massive, being grateful for what I've got makes me enjoy it and appreciate what I've got. It's a totally different feeling than saying, oh, I'm grateful for it. I actually did a process that he made me do that actually created gratitude inside me, which was so good. I have that. Getting out of a comfort zone is massive for me. And like you say, having a bit of a purpose. I've just just been doing a house renovation in the last year. It's been the most stressful time of my life. But it's the best thing I ever did because I had a purpose. I didn't have time to be down. And my time was full, yeah. if you get one. So I'm just figuring out stuff. And as soon as I get down, then I'm like, oh, I'm no good with isolation. I need to fill my time with stuff. Prime example was when we first went into lockdown, I went crazy training. Phil Daly, the media guy, saw it. He went, right, do a podcast. And that I created a podcast through it. It was... Dogcast. Classic. Yeah, yeah. That's what I ended up doing, mate. Just to fill my time, really, and, and not be sat scrolling through Instagram or watching Netflix. Talk us through the name because I'm sure Claire Balding has a similar named podcast. Uh, I don't know, mate. But everyone says I look like Claire Balding, actually. So to God, no, she, so. need a bit longer up. But she she actually does have one called Dogcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone told me about that, so I didn't I didn't have a clue really. Obviously, she's affiliated to Rugby League, but my nickname's Dog. Everyone calls me Dog for some reason. Oh, did they? All right. No one knew me. And next minute, they're all calling me Dog, whereas everyone had called me Dog from from Warrington. So yeah, literally, is um, everyone calls me dog. That's that's what people call me at work. Don't ask me why. It's just stuck one of them names. And next minute, I'm, it was dummy dog at one at one point because I threw that many d- dummies in a game. It was like, oh, dummy dog, that's your name now. But yeah, dog stuck. It's 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 quite scary actually. How common, you know, the depression and the stuff. What you're talking about there. We've spoken to lots of people this year, Flash, haven't we? Who've you know exp- sort of explained symptoms quite similar to what you're, you you know you've been through Brad so it's a big challenge flash isn't it for for look Wigan's working class I'm from Hull working class you're from uh Oldham working class it's a big challenge for working class fellas to speak as openly as as, as what Brad is here yeah it is and probably it's only been this last 12 months where I've probably learned that more lads are are having to deal with it than I thought. I think when you're in a change room or you're hanging around with the boys on, on a weekend or going for a beer, you probably, you don't see it. And then it's only when you actually open up and have a chat with people that you, you realise that they are struggling and that there is a lot more behind the scenes going on than they actually thought. But um, I think there's a lot of facts. I think it's probably, yeah, working class upbringing where you probably don't talk about your feelings all that much. You bottle things up like, like Brad talks about. And then probably adding to that, being in a, 
you know, quite a highly pressurized uh, job of, of professional sport when, um, you know, you're, you're under pressure quite a lot of the time on yourself. That's, and can be external as well from, from fans or from coaches. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably needs to be, I don't know it's locked at quite a lot with state of mind, but it's something I've probably been a bit more aware of these, these last 12 months or so. A lack of understanding, that's, from my experience, from my own person, I just said 2016 or whatever it was, I was depressed and didn't know only till two years after when I go through things and I look back at how I felt and I've gone, that's depression, that. Like, it, it just is. I'm not depressed now, but looking back, that's depression, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. It, and it's a lack. And the issue I have with it all is when you start opening up, you start getting people opening up back to you. It's crazy. It's mad. Like, mad. Like, as soon as I did that, it's, I was getting females messaging me about um, body weight and stuff like that. And then I was like, I'm not capable of dealing with this. I've just spoke about how I feel. <laughs> uh, but also what I found was my friends were gravitating to me and opening up, which is great. Um, but that got me thinking to, it's all right telling, oh, males should talk. They don't talk enough. We don't talk. But we're also, we've not got the capacity at the minute to deal with it and give people the answers or, because we're not emotional like women and we don't understand how people are feeling. So it's basically sometimes it's not necessarily the fact that people don't talk. It's the fact that we probably don't drag it out of each other either. Um, and if we did that, it'd be a lot easier for people to then open up and, and deal with their issues. Is the key to that then, Brad, just just literally someone opening up and there's a chain reaction behind them? So like you've seen, you, you've opened up and there's been a, a ripple effect around you. Yeah, mate, and, and that's a lot to do with why I, why I speak out now and I do podcasts or do interviews is because I didn't understand any of my situation. Didn't get, I was so confused by it all. And then I was so fortunate, like I say, at 25 year old to, to deal with all that. It was, it was, I'm so lucky. And that's what I'm so grateful for now as I look back at how lucky I am to have, I could still be being that person you know, that I was before. Uh, but for some reason I've just worked through it and it wasn't anything genius that I did. I'd, just, I used to pull up with fats for a cost, a cost and be part of it side and be like, why am I going to see him? This guy is not going to solve my issues. He doesn't know. I don't know what I'm going to say to him. I don't know. But I'd come out an hour after and I'd feel so much better through it. Uh, and another example is the suicidal thoughts. That's why I always mention them is because I wasn't going, going to go and kill myself. Whereas people success suicidal thoughts, it looks like oh, it's on, you're on the brink of going, killing yourself. It wasn't. It was just madness. The fact that I was sat on my couch and I couldn't, no matter every five minutes, I'd have a thought of how I was going to go and kill myself. It wasn't that I wanted to go and do it or I was going to do it. It was just so strange that for some reason they were popping into my mind. So that's why I like to mention them because I think it's important that people understand that it's very different and everyone's case is individual. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to go and kill myself. That's why you've got suicidal thoughts, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, so, so let's... let's you know, uh, you know, you've 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 come on a bit of a journey through your life. You know, you've you you know, Wigan Wigan lad, maybe stuck in that rut of being a you know the stereotypical sort of Wigan lad. You you you've had a very successful rugby career today. You know, a successful period at Warrington. Obviously, the bouts of depression has seen you get to Leeds now. Talk us through this Leeds team at the minute. You know, I I it seems like an exciting sort of team at the minute, rebuilt from. The ashes of the Sinfield, Borough, Maguire, and and Jamie Peacock sort of era. Is this an exciting time for the club? Hundred percent, mate. I, I signed my last deal last year, uh, and it was one of them. I didn't care what else was out there. I was happy with what I was getting paid. 
I was happy at the club. I didn't want to know what else was out there because of the journey that we are on. Uh, and to be a part of that, when I first signed for Leeds, it was like, oh, I'm coming here to win trophies. Uh, and then I call me and Dickie Marler are the Grim Reapers. That's what I call us. Everywhere we go, we end up in box four. Um, <laughs> so, but the journey that we've we've been on, um, forget, it wasn't last year, it was the year before when Rich Hagar came in, so emotional. Each we, we, We've stripped everything back and it's as if you've got to get a purpose and an understanding as a group. No matter what rugby you play, you need this buy-in for each other. And that's what we did with the spirit of the Rhino. Uh, I know Kev... I know Kev's moving on, but he, he started the focus with Rich of bringing youngsters through. That was the Leeds way. That's what happened with Kevin and Rob Burrow and Danny Maguire. So the youth that they've got coming through now, we've had so much experience through the tough times that we've been through for the last two years. That's a Mikolai, Cam Smith, Jack Walker, Aaron Newman, Ash Angler. They're going to be internationals over the next couple of years. Um, and it has been tough for them and it's been tough for the fans to watch, but we're going to be in a miles better position because of what we've been through. And I and I know everyone's speaking about how tough it is with COVID and injuries and stuff like that. I, I think that has hindered us a tiny bit because I feel like we would have been a lot further on than what we are. But there's, I, I 100% believe, certainly in the near future, that there's good times are coming back to Leeds because of the players that we have got coming through, the kids. And as long as we bring good players into that, we'll be sweet. It's difficult flash, isn't it, for a club like Leeds? So you think they went through that period where they're infinitely successful, then knock the stadium, rebuild the stadium, uh, a lot of senior players retire. That's a difficult scenario to come through you know, well, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think they probably they saw it coming for a long time that that, um, that dynasty was going to end. But you know, you can plan for it all you, all you like, but it, it, when it actually happens, it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think you know, they probably had... You know, the next generation had some delays. They got further in for a little bit. They got some players that probably they had higher expectations for than they actually delivered with. So that kind of stagnates it a little bit. Um, but I think they're doing it the right way by investing in the youth. And they've they've signed good young players as well. I know Jared O'Connor and there's another young lad from, might be Walters from Widnes as well. Yeah, so I think by investing in the youth and kind of developing that strong bond between a group of young players that they can develop over the next few years. I think that's the way to do it because, you know, you can you can try and stop gap it by signing Aussies for a year or two, but long term, you need to invest in young British players and build that core. And I feel like they're doing that now. And um, having watched, you know, the, most of the season so far, they've, they have struggled with injuries. So it's hard to get that continuity. But the good thing with that is that you can blood more young kids. And, and probably Brad being, you know, having grown up in a great culture at Warrington and, you know, been around success. If, if those senior players can drive those standards, you know, there can be a really healthy future for Leeds because, you know, they, they're always going to be a massive club and um, they probably just need some on-field on performances to match the size of the club now. Yeah, I think if, if you look at all sporting franchises, our teams, everyone goes through it. You look at um, Man United, Chelsea's been through it, Arsenal going through it. Um, throughout, Wigan went through it when I was coming through, when they signed Fielding and that, their first chance. St. Helens went so many years. Obviously, they're on a great run now. Um, it, every every team goes through it. It's just part of sport. If every team wins, every, it just doesn't work like that. Um, so, yeah, speaking about as a group and where we're going, I think it's important to touch on, like, it's all right saying, oh, you've got good players coming through. Uh, the environment's been massive for us. That, that's I feel like we've had good teams over the last couple of years, but the thing, it's been so individual. We've all ripped in, but it's been 
individual and not together. Uh, you've heard my story today. What we do as a, as a group is everyone opens up at certain points. We have the spirit of the rhino that you might have seen spoke about before, and it's like a bit of a ceremony. It starts weird as anything. Really saying like, <laughs> talk us through this. Talk us through this. Come on, what what is it? Well, it's Jamie Jones. We can. You will spend time with him. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's comes yeah. up some ideas yeah. and that. Um, but it was like it was the Anfield thing when we played at Anfield and everyone's touching the sign. We just had a new stadium built, and I think Rick said he wants something like that, and left it to Jones. And then, and then next minute, all oh, uh, Wizardry's coming out. He's got his little pot and his spoon and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so he just came up with the idea of this spit Rano and Leeds Rano. Jones is Leeds Rano's through and through. Um, and he just said he came up with the idea of putting something into a fire that meant something to you. So you was committing something to this cause that would then create a bond, really. So it's like you're committing to the boys. But also, it's there when you're walking out every night. You go and play a Friday night at Leeds. You see that, and that reminds you of your reason why you're playing rugby. But also, sixteen other blokes' reasons why. And you speak earlier about, or how many people are suffering with depression and struggles and stuff like that. I couldn't believe the amount of people who opened up and speak about different struggles in the league. Well, look at me, our individuals aren't having a birthmark, and so the stories that came out and the emotion that we invested into this um, earlier on in the year in pre-season was massive and I, I think that just creates a real desire and will to work for each other and that's what really changed when you speak about what's changed in your time and yeah, we've had them players who's got a bit of experience but we've also got a culture where we're all buying in for each other and that's part of it and created it. So talk me through this. So you've got a fire, right? And you all, you all throw something into the fire is this in the changing rooms, Brad? Where, where are we setting fire to things? Mate, it was great. It was in Benidorm. Uh, <laughs> to a training camp, went to a training camp in, uh, in Benidorm. I forget. It, I was like five miles away from Benidorm or something like that. Uh, it was in January, so don't worry. We weren't Red Lion Bear or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, it was at the end of the camp. So you have all these meetings uh, about where you want to be that year. Do you know, everyone does goal setting, uh, speaking about different personalities and how they work and and different people's flaws really and what you want to get rid of and what you want to bring out of people and um, so it was all like that and then you finished a week really with this spirit of the Rhino where we all sit round uh, finished last day of training we might, I think the first time we did it we all had a beer each literally just one beer while we did it sat out in the sun got this half cup barrel and literally every person whether it's a picture whether it's um, a piece of clothing or whatever it is like an old playing shirt that meant something to you they put it in the fire explain your story of what it actually meant and then the next person would go and then in the end Jones would do his little magic thing with it he'd send it off and it'd be like made into um, he sent it to a jewellers in Leeds and they make it into a resin that then gets put around this rhino like the horn of the rhino and as we walk out that's on just like you see this is Anfield that's on our fingers we walk out and you can touch it so it's pretty bonkers I, I understand it must but it probably you so bet like so uh, lucky that we get to do some of the things, play at the stadiums, go on training camps, some of the experience that we have, but that's probably the best experience that I've been through. And to be a part of that and seeing people open up, mate, it's, it's madness. Bit, I'm like everyone, I laugh at everything, but it is <laughs> so, such a good experience. What about away from rugby then, Brad? You obviously spoke about, look, school was a struggle for you. You played the, the class clown Um and, and we've got into that, you know, the birthmark, maybe how that affected how you behaved at school. But 
what what's your aspirations post rugby? Like what what are you what do you want to do when you finish with this game? Oh, I don't know. I, mean, I always thought I'd be a coach or something. I, I I don't know. But then when you play rugby for so long, you're just like, I need a break away. I need. I see everyone <laughs> in the beef now and that and uh, all sat around beach. It's like, oh, I could be doing that instead of playing four games in twelve days. Um, wow. So I, I don't know, mate. I'm into my property. I, I've always, I, I bought in Wigan, and then when I moved over here, I bought over here. Uh, I bought an apartment. It was like studenty stuff. It was class at first, and now I've had to get my head down and bought a house that all my family are builders. Uh, so I, as a kid, in summer holidays, I was up scaffolding, changing fish and gutters with my dad, or doing roofs with my dad, doing groundwork with my brother. So that's just who I am. So I got brought up. So. They've helped me with this house renovation. Um, so I might do some of that. I don't know. It's, um, just see what, as long as I'm happy, mate, just trying to figure out something that does make me happy because, like I say, I had my dream job. I was a rugby player and that didn't make me happy for a long time. So as long as I just focus on being happy, I don't forget my. No, I think that's, yeah, that's such an interesting thing, isn't it? That this, this, this theory or this, this feeling like Brad Dwyer has got everything that he wanted from his career and he can. You know, still be unhappy at that point, Flash. That's you know, it's a powerful message to people, that isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes you just you kind of fantasize about getting to a point in your life, and it's it's sometimes it's the perception you fantasize about the perception of it and what people think of you if you do become a professional rugby player. But unless you're happy deep down and you kind of you've got the gratitude that, that Brad probably goes on about, it doesn't doesn't really matter all that much and. Yeah, you can you can fantasize about having the perfect life, but unless you're happy in your own skin, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. That's why I became a rugby player. It, like I'm not some six foot five freak who can score tries out of Tommy Mason in corner. Do, do you get what I'm saying? It's like I yeah, had this yeah. desire because I wanted to be a rugby player because I thought that would make me happy. And then imagine yeah, yeah, when yeah, you yeah, get yeah. there. So that was my determinant. And then when I got there, I was like, this still doesn't make me happy. There's something wrong here. And yeah, then I sit yeah. and I think, well, it was all a cover up deal with this sort of thing really and it was it, like pretty crazy and I'm pretty fortunate to figure that out because if not I'd have still been doing bits of gambling uh, binging with food to try and get that instant gratification to make me feel better um, I'd have still been doing that now What was what was your meal of choice when you binge with food? Was it just pie and peas or anything else? Nah, everything, like chocolate, I'm all about chocolate like all about, I'm all about I'm all about the chocolate. <laughs> it's like I've got to this point, like I'm experimenting and I've got like I'm doing now twirls, but putting a bit of galaxy in the middle of the twirl bites. So it's like a twirl and galaxy sandwich. Sandwich. So like, yeah, so You're making chocolate sandwiches. <laughs> right. I just imagine you experimenting in your kitchen with a lab coat. Uh, the clipboard going, oh, the twirl and the camera and the caramel. <laughs> Melting. Oh, <man. laughs> That's uh, an understanding of what we do as, a, as a, for a living. And that used to drive me mad. It's like, that made me happy, but also made me down because you can't do that as a rugby player. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel shit in myself, so I'm going to go and eat chocolate. But we can't do that. We've got to look after our bodies. But So then I'd yeah. go, right, I'll eat chocolate to make myself feel better. But I don't mind training, so I'll go and fog myself. But we can't go and fog ourselves because we've got to recover. So I was just yeah, constantly yeah. in this circle of that, feeling like rubbish. Yeah, yeah I've I I found that Brad. With with one thing I noticed since I've retired is that you you perpetually feel guilty when you're in sport. You unless you're flawless, like 
you know, unless you're that flawless guy, you know, just fucking, you know, ice baths himself to death every day and he's, you know, he's got his recovery kecks on and all that, whatever. Unless you're that guy whose attention to detail is infinite. There's always something in your day to just make you think twice. And you wouldn't ever, in any other walk of life, I don't think you'd, you'd constantly feel guilty about something. You know, did I sleep well? You wake up and go, I didn't sleep well. Or or, or, or that, that moment in a game when you're warming up for a game and your first few steps and you just don't feel quite, you oh, oh, I'm flat. I'm a bit flat here. Like, can you imagine any other walk of life where you've put yourself under that much fucking pressure? But it's only through since retiring that I made me realise how much guilt I put, used to put on myself. You know, I feel guilty about the, the most stupid stuff. So, you know, that's, I think it's just part of sport, Brad, isn't it? Definitely. The more you do it, I, I realise now I can probably, I'm pretty fortunate. I've got a good metabolism. It burns off doing what I'm doing. Pretty fortunate that I can do it. So now it's just about being, if I'm, I'm miles better when I'm happy. Proven. I play better rugby when I'm happy than when I was before. So if it means having a bar of chocolate and I've got me a bit overweight, then it's worth it because I'll be happy. Fair enough. That's the thing. That's the talk and get happy. Just before we finish, Brad, I've been uh, I've been told to ask you about your cousin Johnny in Tesco's with a guide dog. Who's told you? How did you know about that? Oh, mate. Oh, yeah, it's not that story. Now. <laughs> so we had a staff. <laughs> we had a staff, mate. This is Wiganers for you, mate. They're all backward, honestly. Um, yeah, we had a staff and he was looking after this staff. So he walks to Chipper gets himself a chipper and gets dog a chipper so he gets dog a sausage as well but why is it chipper <laughs> everything's about chippies isn't it why are we all but, um, yeah, yeah. he then went to, he went to Tesco's and uh, anyways he's walking in Tesco's with this staff that we had the security guard stops him says oh you can't come in with that and he says what do you mean it's my guard dog he says what do you mean that's not a guard dog he went why what to give me is that only 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 in Wigan to try and get a staff through as a guide dog? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's been uh, top speaking to you, Brad. I, I think it was really interesting listening to you come to terms with some of the decisions you made as a younger man, you know, and maybe how you behaved, and then tracing that back to. You know, your past, I think that's that's really powerful. That's probably my, my biggest takeaway, and especially with your, your birthmark, something that's really visible. Like, we've all, me and Mark have seen it, but, we, you know, it, it's something that's really visible, but very, very personal to you. And, and, and we can just see it and not really think about it. But ultimately, there's a, I think the, one of the most important things to come from this is, You've got to be thinking about how that person might feel and that they are already probably paranoid or have, have a thought about it. So I think it's really great what you're doing uh, to get that story out there. And I think me and Matt wish you all the best for the for the rest of the year with the Rhinos and good luck. Yeah, good luck, pal. Sweet. Cheers, guys. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. No worries. That was, that was Brad Dwyer. This has been Out of Your League. Please download it from iTunes or any other podcast provider.